Hey friends, greetings in the name of Jesus Christ. In el nombre de Jesucristo. I want to welcome all the Heritage family across areas in Illinois and Iowa, as well as specifically our brothers at the Kwani Life Skills Reentry Center. Hope you guys are doing well. I also want to welcome all of you who have started connecting with us remotely in this season. It is a privilege for us to connect with you and to worship together, even from afar. Now, I realize many people are asking, when can we be together again? What is Heritage going to do next? When are we opening our buildings? And I want to assure you, <laughs> we are, and we will. We're moving forward as a church. But the question of when just might not be the most important question. How is, is really more important than when. And I realize there's lots of discussion around preferences and opinions on what's right and good in this season. And I hope that you're intentionally choosing to be like Jesus in the midst of those discussions and debates. It can be difficult, but there is a way for us to represent him in all of our interactions. In fact, in any tension, how is probably a more important question than when, when we handle conflict. And we're gonna to get to some of that today in our message time. But as we continue to move forward, just want you to know that we're gonna keep you informed. In fact, later this week, I wanna share with you how we're moving forward as we incrementally begin to connect together. In fact, just stay tuned because you are not gonna to wanna to miss our journey in June. It's gonna be significant. But we're gathered together today to worship Jesus, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So let's pause, let's lean in, and let's do that now together today. Well, hey friends, we are so glad that you are worshiping with us today. We invite you to sing along with us to our great God.
shall come with trumpet sound Oh may I then in Him be found Dressed in His righteousness alone Faultless stand before the throne
In just a few moments, I'm gonna invite you into a rhythm that has been shared by millions of believers across the world. And it's an ancient practice. It has its roots all the way back to the very beginnings of church history. And it's the practice of praying the Lord's Prayer together as a community. Now we know there are dozens, hundreds, even thousands of different ways to engage in prayer. But this particular prayer is so special and important because Jesus himself gives this prayer to us. The Gospels of Matthew and Luke record this great moment where Jesus gives these words to his disciples and and because they're recorded in the Gospels, we have these words as well. Now, I love this prayer because it is simple, it is accessible, and yet it is broad and robust and wide-reaching. Right at the very beginning of the prayer, Jesus gives us a term to use for God our Father, which gives us sort of a a sense of intimacy. And yet, the next turn of the phrase, Jesus says, hallowed be your name, holy be your name, which gives us a sense of reverence and awe. So we have intimacy and reverence all in the very first line of this prayer. A little bit later, Jesus invites us to pray very personalized, small prayers. Give us this day our daily bread. And yet, in another place in the prayer, we are invited into a cosmic prayer. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is a wide-ranging yet simple prayer that gives us so many great handholds to approach the throne of God. In fact, we think it's so important that we've been hosting uh, on Facebook Live on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays a midday prayer. And At the conclusion of every single one of those sessions of prayer, we have closed by using the Lord's Prayer. And so I want to invite you right now into this chance to vocalize and pray this prayer together as a community. So let's pray this prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from this time of trial and deliver us from evil for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen and amen. Well, hey, everyone, it is so great to be with you this weekend, and I am grateful that even though we're not gathering in the same space, that we can collectively and corporately take part in sacred moments like we just shared together, where, yes, we lifted our voices and our hands in worship, but that we also collectively and corporately, right where you are, were able to pray the Lord's Prayer together. You know, it's in moments like these that, that I am encouraged and comforted to be reminded um, that, that we're a part of something much bigger than just ourselves, or perhaps the group of people that you're gathering to, to watch and take part in this worship expression with. But as we lift our voices together in the praying the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, that we are part of the body of Christ, millions of believers all around the world who will pray that very prayer today. And it's comforting to me to know as we navigate these challenging, unprecedented seasons that we're not doing it alone. I'm also reminded that that we gather today not to worship a God who is bound by time or by space, but that a God that even though we're not gathering in the same room, that we are worshiping a God who is very much present wherever you find yourself today. 
whether it's in your living room or your kitchen, perhaps in your vehicle or at your desk, that we worship a God who is present. And so collectively, as we worship him, we are doing that together. You know, I love the passage of scripture in John chapter five, where Jesus says, my father is always working. And so am I. And as we navigate these days and and different for each of us, but each of us navigating challenges, the reality is that our God is at work even in the midst of it. And not only is he at work, but he is inviting us to experience the life and life to the full that Jesus came to offer us, no matter what is happening around us. And let's be clear, in this COVID-19 season, it has cost all of us something. For some of us, it's been our comfort. It's been our sense of safety. Uh, For others, it's perhaps been uh, your sense of community. Your relationships with your friends or family have just looked different as you haven't been able to engage in proximity together. Or or for some, it's it's health-related. Maybe you've walked through the COVID-19 season yourself, or perhaps there's loved ones around you who have been walking through diagnoses, whether COVID-19 or perhaps something else. If you're a young parent today, it's cost you perhaps your hair, <laughs> you know, or, or if you have young children, at least the color of your hair. Or let's be clear, for all of us, it cost us for two weeks the ability to go to Whitey's ice cream. That's right. Graham Central Station will change your life. And I praise the Lord that they are back open, drive through only, of course. I mean, the reality is, is it's cost all of us something. But even so, in the midst of the challenges... God is working, he is moving, and he's inviting you and I, even in the midst of heartache and challenge and moments and some of the things that it's costing you and I to experience the life and life to the full that Jesus has offered us. And that life is fully experienced as we make the choice to respond and to be selfless. You see, that's what we've been exploring over the last couple of weeks of what does it look like for us to live a life that is marked by being selfless? We've talked about the reality that, that what we do between the now as we navigate this season together and the next, what we do between the now and the next matters. And specifically, if whether we choose to react or to respond has significant ripple. You know, when this first started, I think each of us were, were in a posture of, because of the uncertainty, the unknowns, we, we reacted in a, in a, from a place of fear. And as it's kind of, uh, kind of continued on, many of us got to that place where we're just fatigued or, or we're indifferent. And, and then that indifference kind of led many of us to a place of just being frustrated and, and maybe even angry. And we find ourselves just lashing out in anger toward maybe people that we love or those around us or groups of people. And I mean, our, our reaction has moved very clearly from a place of fear and anxiety to one in which has just been marked with frustration and anger. But what Jesus invites us to is to respond in a way that is selfless, in a way that we we look to the interest of others above above our own, in a way that we, we consider others better than ourselves. And you see, that's what we've been exploring together. And here's the reality. That's not just a good thought, just something that was a good idea or it sounds good or it's warm and fuzzy. The reality is, is that this is the example that Jesus set for you and for me. And the reality is whether you are a follower of Jesus today or not, that Jesus set this example of what it means to live a selfless life. You see, Jesus being made in the very nature of God, God himself in heaven, stepped out of heaven and came to earth for you and for me. He took on the form of a man, which can you imagine God stepping out of heaven, giving up his deity and coming and being a man for us? And he didn't just come to earth to become a man. He lives a perfect life. And not only does he live a perfect life, but he is obedient to death and not just any kind of death. Oh, no. Jesus endured the cross bearing our sin and our shame. Jesus endured the most humiliating, most tragic, most excruciating death possible. And as it says there in Philippians 2, as a result of that, Jesus was exalted 
And at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth, and God would receive the glory. You see, Jesus is the one who set the example for you and for me. And he invites us to live the very same way. In fact, if you are a follower of Jesus today, it's not really an invitation. He directs us to live lives that are marked by the same selfless, sacrificial love that he displayed for us. And so today, as we engage scripture some more, we're going to continue to take a look at it. What does it look like for us, even in the midst of challenging moments and challenging times, to live lives that are marked by selflessness? And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to grab those, turn or click to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to continue uh, starting in, in verse 14. And let me remind you, as we read this passage of scripture, that the Apostle Paul is writing this from prison. He is in jail. He's, he's in a space where he is, he is bound. He is locked in. He is in lockdown orders. And this is what he writes. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Hold the phone for a second. You know, when I read that passage of scripture and, and it said, do everything without grumbling or arguing, I was like, time out. I got to go back and, and check. Certainly that doesn't mean everything. I mean, when we're in the midst of a pandemic or things are challenging or I'm, I'm struggling in some way, that must be kind of this, that must be the exception. So I went back and I went back and I looked at that word for everything in the Greek as the New Testament's written in Greek. And guess what it means? Everything. <laughs> Literally, any, every. Each, he's saying, and do everything without grumbling or complaining. Grumbling, literally meaning almost like that, that murmuring under your breath. You know, it's that, that secret displeasure. It's like, do everything without grumbling under your breath or, or arguing. And this is that, that dispute. And what Paul is saying is, listen, if you're going to live a selfless life, If you and I are going to choose to respond by living a selfless life, it's going to result in you and I navigating any season, any challenge, any dynamic from a posture in which we're not grumbling or arguing. You see, he goes on to say, if we live in that way, so that you may become blameless and pure. That word become isn't necessarily like if you don't grumble, then you'll become blameless and pure. Listen, our salvation, our cleansing is secure in Jesus. But literally what that scripture means is that we'll prove ourselves as a child of God. Another verse or another meaning for that scripture literally means as if you're coming onto the stage. Isn't that a beautiful picture in this time? in which there are many around us who are frustrated and angry and and grumbling and complaining and, and moaning and But you and I, as followers of Jesus who are selfless, come onto the stage as a people who consider others better than ourselves. How do we show that? By not grumbling or complaining. You see, when we choose to react instead of respond, we quickly move from fear to fatigue to grumbling and complaining. And shortly after that, it leads us to one of two places. One is anger. We just get angry. We get angry at others around us. We start treating people and speaking to people in a way that that doesn't value the the very imago Dei or the image of God that is within them. We get mad and angry at groups of people who maybe don't agree with what we're doing or decisions that, that maybe we agree with. I mean, we get we get angry with everyone and everyone around us. And can I tell you? that can quickly even lead to a place where we get angry at God, where we get in a place where we start shaking our fist at God to say, God, you have abandoned me. God, where are you? I don't see you at work. And that's a really dangerous place. You see, grumbling and arguing can lead us to places of anger, but it can also lead us to places of self-pity, where we start to wrestle with thoughts like, no one understands what I'm going through. Nobody gets it. Nobody, nobody understands what this means for me. We find ourselves in this almost like us versus the world kind of dynamic. Or we find ourselves in a place where we start blaming everyone else around us. And that's heartbreaking. Because what starts as grumbling and arguing can quickly lead to some emotional challenges 
that has a ripple then for our relational dynamics with those around us and ultimately can have significant spiritual ramifications. You see, that's why grumbling and arguing is so significant. And I'll tell you, we've all been there, haven't we? In fact, if we're honest today, many of us find us in that very same place today as we gather in this space. We find ourselves grumbling, complaining. Some of us are feeling sorry for ourselves or, you know, we can't do the things we love or be with the people that we want to be. And we find ourselves just really at a place today where we're just angry, where we've had enough. And I'll tell you, each of us, it looks different, but I've walked the same journey. You know, this season has impacted me in ways that a few months ago I would have never foreseen. Many of you know, like I'm a, I'm a fairly people-oriented person. Like I'm the one who likes to high-five or fist bump or hugs or elbow, you know, throw elbows or chest bumps. I mean, do all of those things because I just love being around people. But you know what I found over the last few months for me? I found myself in a space where I've just really been wrestling, just sad and heavy. And I find myself grumbling and saying, God, what in the world is going on? For you, it may look different, but what I know today is whatever you are experiencing and what I'm experiencing is that Jesus desires that you and I encounter the love and peace and joy, the life and life to the full that he offers us today. You know, it's Jesus, even in the midst of these challenging dynamics, that literally wants us to live lives that are marked by love and joy, and peace, and patience, and gentleness, and kindness, and goodness, and in self-control. But in moments where we sense anything other than those things bubbling up within us, in moments when our emotions begin to rage, and we find ourselves wanting to to gripe, and complain, and to argue, and and throw rocks at others, or, or even maybe retreat and feel sorry for ourselves, those should be the moments where a flag, a yellow flag, or a red flag pops up within us. And we stop and we pause and we ask the question of what's happening within us. Because what's important to understand today is that what comes out of us reflects what is in us. What comes out of us reflects what is in us. You see, that's why the Apostle Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes these words to do everything without grumbling or complaining. Because he knows that that if you and I as followers of Jesus are pursuing Jesus and we we are giving him access and inviting him to, to work in us, to desire and to do the will of God, then he knows that no matter what circumstances are happening around us, no matter what's been taken from us or decisions that are being made, that we can live lives that are marked by the selfless love of Jesus and that we can live lives that embody his life in us. However, in the moments where we find ourselves wanting to pick the rock up or send that text or to comment on that post where we're wanting to demean and tear down and and really um, distort the image of God that is in somebody else, those should be moments for us to pause and to say, time out. Something much deeper is happening within me because what comes out of us, whether in our words or our actions, reflect what is in us. In fact, that's what Jesus was saying in in two separate passages in, in Matthew chapter 15. These are red letters in your Bible. These are the words of Jesus where Jesus says, out of the heart, out from what was within you comes evil thoughts murder, adultery, theft, sexual immorality, false witness, and slander. Jesus says it's from within you that these things are coming out. Or in Luke chapter 6, when Jesus is using the, the, he's looking at trees, and he says you can judge a tree by its fruit. And he says a good man brings good things out of his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of his heart. But he concludes with these words. Luke chapter 6, verse 45, he says, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You see, what comes out of us reflects what's in us. And that's why Paul says, don't grumble or don't complain. 
it's a challenging passage. And for us, you may be in a space where you're going, what does that mean for me? What is my way out? I find myself there today. And the answer is simply, you're never going to guess, is to respond by choosing to be selfless. It's by looking to the interest of others above yourselves. It's, it's choosing that instead of reacting, to respond, to, to respond and focus on the things you can control, not the things you can't control. And one of the things we can control is what we focus and what our perspective is fixed on. The things that we're grateful for. Perhaps rather than dwelling in what we can't or what we don't have, it's looking at the things that we do have. A roof over our head, food on our table, people around us that love us. You have breath and air in your lungs. You have a body that can function. There's an element where we can choose what we focus on and we can choose to be grateful. And secondly, we can choose to respond by focusing on the needs of others. You know, there's always somebody that has it worse than you and me, no matter what you're encountering today. That we can choose a way out, a way out of the grumbling, the anger, the self-pity, by choosing to focus on the needs of others. And if you're in a space where maybe that doesn't work quite for you yet, those two things, then at that point it's, it's pressing into Jesus and say, Jesus, what is happening within me that these things are coming out of me? And I promise you, as you press into him, he is faithful to work in you, to will or to desire or to act in a way that is according to his purpose. You see, these indeed are unprecedented moments. But we have an unprecedented opportunity as followers of Jesus who are choosing to respond by living a selfless life to shine brightly in these days. You see, all around us, there's complaining and bickering and negativity and and pity and self-pity and discouragement and despair. But you and I, as followers of Jesus, have the opportunity to shine brightly the love and hope of Jesus. In fact, let's take a look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. After it says, don't grumble and complain, and it says, then you'll become wicked or you'll become blameless and pure and child, children of God, without fault in this warped and crooked generation. It says this, it says, then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Then when we choose to respond by being selfless, then when we're not ones throwing rocks at people, then we will shine brightly in the midst of a world that is hurting and looking for Jesus. Because it's important to understand To be selfless is to reflect the love and hope of Jesus. To be selfless is to reflect the love and hope of Jesus. Like the Apostle Paul who wrote this from prison, you and I in the midst of these challenging moments have an opportunity as we put the interest of others above our own, as we consider others better than ourselves, to shine and share the hope of Jesus that isn't dependent on circumstances, but that is secure because of what Jesus has done for us. In fact, I want you to check out a story of one of our heritage family members uh, whose name is Melanie. And Melanie has navigated incredibly difficult seasons in her health journey. But yet I want you to listen to her story and to hear how rather than complaining and arguing and feeling sorry for herself, how she has responded, and how she is reflecting the love and hope of Jesus. Check out her story. My name is Melanie Putnam, and 10 years ago, I had something really crazy happen to me. A myelin woman's diagnosed with a rare lung disease, one of just several hundred women with it in the United States. 
Um, I was pregnant with my second son, Josiah, and I, I believe I was about 19 weeks pregnant and went to the doctor and found out that I was having some breathing trouble. They thought maybe I had asthma, so I ended up going to a pulmonary specialist in Iowa City and found out that I have one of the rarest forms of lung disease called lymphangioleomyomatosis. And it's basically where these smooth muscle cells enter into your lung cavity and basically eat your lung tissue. So um, there ended up coming a day where I ended up in respiratory failure. I was home with the kids and I, I, what had happened is one of my lungs had collapsed. The boys went and got the neighbor. The neighbor called the police and the ambulance and they ended up airlifting me to Iowa City. And I lived in the Iowa City Hospital for three to four months. And basically I was too sick to go home, so I would either die there or um, if, if God blessed me with um, a set of lungs that would fit me and my body in time, then I would survive that way. My husband stayed in the room with me for all those months and the kids were with our family and stuff. And it was just very hard for me as their mom, just wanting to be a mom and I couldn't do that anymore. The night before I got my transplant, I told my husband that I don't want to wake up tomorrow. I, I don't want to live this life anymore. the next morning, I just woke up with such a sense of peace, just kind of like the peace that surpasses all understanding that day. It was really cool. It was, re it was, it was totally a God moment. So far, I've been doing really well. I'm actually at seven years, which is way past what they expected for me. Um, and I'm doing pretty well. I have little issues here and there. So I take upwards of 50 to 70 pills every day to suppress my immune system so that my body doesn't realize I have a foreign organ. I do have a form of rejection. My body has now developed antibodies that are recognizing that I do have a foreign organ. So the chemotherapy is to try to suppress those. It's like every day I wake up and I'm like, oh, I'm here another day. That's so awesome, and I feel so happy about it. And now my husband and I do uh, Go Kids. We teach fifth and sixth graders, and I absolutely love it. When I woke up that day in the hospital, and it was quiet and peaceful, and I didn't have that air blowing in my nose anymore, I had such a hope in Jesus because I knew that now I had the rest of my life and I had time after that. I take every day to tell my kids and my husband I love them a million times a day. And I do everything I can today because I don't know if I'm going to have tomorrow. And that includes everything in my life. You know, Go Kids. I make sure that every kid that I come in contact with at Go Kids knows that I love them and I want to do everything I can to make an impression on their lives. And everybody should live that way. Nobody, nobody is promised tomorrow. Not me, not you, nobody is. I'm so overwhelmed all the time with God's generosity that I still get to be here. And I still get to do the things that I really want to do. My name is Melanie Putnam, and this is my resurrection story. I love Melanie's story. I, what a powerful example for you and I, for what it means to, to do everything without grumbling or arguing. I mean, what a great example as she navigates the complexities that still exist in her life, but from a posture where every morning she wakes up and says, God, I thank you that I have another day to live. And just like Melanie, that's the invitation for you and for me today, is to choose to respond to Jesus in choosing to be selfless, just like Jesus was selfless for us. And so as we close today, I wanna to ask you to do a few things. First is to just take an honest assessment of your life today. 
Take a look at the the words that are coming out of your mouth or perhaps on your comments on Facebook or perhaps how are you interacting or treating with other people and ask yourself the question, is what's coming out of me reflecting the love and hope of Jesus? And so do a self-assessment. Secondly, to shift your focus today, to choose to focus on not what, what you don't have or what you think you need, but rather the things that you are blessed with and what you are grateful for and on the needs of those around you, putting the needs of others in front of yourself. And thirdly, today let's acknowledge that we need Jesus. If we're going to live as a people who are selfless, let's, let's acknowledge that we need Jesus every moment, every day, every hour. And so let's pray together. Heavenly Father, that's our prayer. We need you to work in us so we can work through us. And God, this week, as we take moments to take an assessment, to shift our focus, God, may we meet with you and may we be transformed into the selfless people that resemble your son. In Jesus' name, amen. I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest, and without you, I fall apart, you're the one that guides my heart, Lord, I need you,
How incredible is it that God is always with us, always faithful, always inviting us into more with Him and with one another? You know, we are incredibly grateful that in this season, we've received a gift of allowing our living spaces to become sacred spaces. And we're so thankful that you have joined us in these moments of praise and worship, of prayer and teaching, of connecting with God and others and our purpose. And if whether you've been part of the Heritage family for a long time or you've more recently joined in with us, we are so excited about what God is doing, not only in these days, but what we sense he is getting ready to do in and through us in the days ahead. We know that we are made for connection with each other. And to experience that all God has for us, we are going to need to live in greater circles of community than ever before. So if you haven't yet connected into the life of Heritage in a meaningful way, we encourage you to do that even now. You can text the word CONNECT to the number on the screen. You can text CONNECT to 309-250-2007. And you'll receive a response right away letting you know how we're connecting you with different opportunities to listen, learn, engage, and do life with others. You aren't going to want to miss the days ahead with Heritage. We believe God has incredible things in store. So again, text CONNECT to the number on the screen and we'll help get you connected in meaningful ways now and next. We encourage you to continue connecting with us on our digital platforms. You'll find all kinds of great information on how to do that, on opportunities to ask for help, to offer help, to connect in relationship, even to partner with us financially at heritageqc.com. You'll also find information coming in the next few days, as Pastor Sean mentioned, about our intentional plan moving forward. You aren't going to want to miss that either. You know, in these days, as tensions are running high, as there are all kinds of different perspectives and opinions and passionate debate, it can really be easy to see the people around us as either friend or foe. But one of the amazing things to me as I've been connecting with God in scripture and with my own friends in conversation is the reminder that each and every one of us are image bearers of God. And together, we reveal and reflect that image in ways that we can't even fully begin to understand. It's a helpful reminder for us that when we're in these conversations and in these days that God is encouraging us to live in ways where we seek the best for one another because we all bear God's image. This next video as we end our time is a great conversation that helps us understand the image of God in ourselves and in others. So we encourage you stick with us for the next few minutes as we have this conversation. So if you lived in ancient Bible times, odds are you lived under the authority of a king. And many of these kings claimed that they were gods, and they would even call themselves the image of God. Meaning they had authority to tell people what to do, order things to be made. Yeah, they got to define good and evil. And these kings would often make statues of themselves, which in Hebrew were called tselem, often translated as idol or image. But for Israel, they didn't view their kings as the God. In fact, they were never supposed to even make images of God. It's exactly right. And that was really unique for that time and culture. This is rooted, first of all, in Israel's belief that you can't reduce the creator God down to any one thing in creation. But there's another reason. People aren't to make images of God because God has already made images of himself. When did he do that? Let's go to page one of the Bible. And the first person we meet there is God. He's the one with authority over all creation. He speaks and creation obeys. And he defines what is good and not good. In other words, he alone is king. But then surprisingly, as the pinnacle of all of God's creative work, he makes humans and he calls all of them the image of God. So he gives all humans the authority to rule. Exactly. That's what he goes on to say. He tells the humans to subdue the earth and to rule it. And so this task that once belonged only to elite kings is here in the Bible the task of every human being. This was a revolutionary statement in its day because all humans are being called to rule and to participate in the human project. So what does this mean? I mean, how are we all supposed to rule? 
So the picture we get in Genesis is gardening. Gardening? Yes, gardening. So they rule the earth by cultivating it, by harnessing all of the earth's raw potential and then making something more and new out of it. So growing food for each other. Yes, but that also includes growing families then, which become neighborhoods. And then they create communities where people are going to work and take care of each other and build businesses and cities that will expand to new places and so on. So ruling is really the day-to-day acts of our work and creativity. Yes, we take the world somewhere. This is humanity's divine and sacred task. Yeah, and this all sounds really nice. And humans have designed some pretty great things. But just as often we create things that cause a lot of suffering and a lot of injustice, so maybe we shouldn't actually be ruling. Yeah, so the Bible addresses this. In Genesis, what happens is that God gives humans a choice about how they're going to rule. So are they going to use their authority for the benefit of others, which is God's definition of good, or are they going to turn away and define good and evil for themselves and use their authority for self-advantage? And in the story, they choose to define good and evil on their own terms. And so this is the Bible's depiction of the human condition. So sometimes we pull off amazingly good stuff, but just as often, despite our best intentions, we act selfishly and we create evil in the world. And so we're stuck as mediocre rulers making a mess of things. But that's not the end of the story. So the Bible goes on and it makes this claim that all of this was resolved when God bound himself to humanity through Jesus. And he showed us what it looks like to truly rule as a human. So what does it look like? Well, Jesus ruled by serving and by seeking the best for others, by putting himself underneath them and loving not just his friends, but also his enemies. And that's not a typical way to rule. And not only that, Jesus confronted the consequences of all of the evil and the death that we have created by our messed up ways of ruling. And he takes it. I mean, he lets it kill him. And so when the New Testament writers looked back to Jesus' resurrection, they see a whole new future opening up for all humanity. Jesus is a new way to be human. Yeah, that's why they called Jesus the image of God or the new human. And not only that, they also believe that Jesus' divine life and power is now available to heal and to transform us to become our life and power. And this sounds really nice, but what does it really look like? So practically, the Apostle Paul said it looks like people being filled by Jesus' own presence and spirit, filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and integrity and gentleness and self-control. He says, this is the new humanity that God wants to create in us so that we become people in whom God's image is being restored, people who will move the human project forward. And that's actually how the story of the Bible ends. It's a renewed world where God is on his throne and his servants are all around him, but they're the ones ruling over this new world, taking it into new uncharted territory with Jesus as their healer and their guide.